Uh, Wiltons, if you'll stay behind at the end, please. <laughs> now, great to see you this morning. Great to see the chatter and the laughter. And uh, we'll find out afterwards what that was all about, maybe. I don't know. Uh, feel free saying tin coffee at the end. We can continue our fellowship, which will be really nice. And well done for being here on time-ish, because you're all here before me. So you, I'm just assuming you're all here at 11 o'clock. Yeah, so um, that's good. And uh, I didn't realise that losing an hour that I'd booked in to go to Weedy Castle as well at 10 o'clock, but there we go. Fantastic to be over there and uh, great to be here, great to see people online as well. So over these last um, six weeks, we've been having this series, 40 Days with uh, Jesus. And for this past six weeks... We've been looking at the greatest person in history, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the greatest comeback in history, his resurrection from the dead. Now, when we think of great comebacks, we tend to think of football, don't we? And um, like when Liverpool were 3-0 down in the Champions League final and um, came back and they won. You all staring at me, did they? Oh, good. Wasn't that good? Some of us dream of our football teams coming back because they're always losing that one day that they will come back. And, but obviously those comebacks are insignificant compared to the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. And we've been looking at the period of this time left on earth he has after the resurrection. And sometimes he kind of gets missed after Easter because of all that's going on. So we're covering it before Easter on this occasion. And we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and showed many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over the next 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So on 11 occasions, people experienced the physical risen Lord Jesus alive and they reckon there was over 500 individuals that encountered him after the resurrection. So for 40 days, Jesus has this important task in his mind in order to bring the final preparations for his disciples. Now he spent three years with them, but these 40 days were significant for them. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the last encounter. So this is really the the final, final, final preparation while he was here on earth. I was going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 to 11, and we'll be touching on other verses as well. For Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says, after he said this, Now, what did he say? We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into 
heaven. So this was the last incident on earth, planet earth, with the risen, physical Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke's gospel, uh, he records the incident. He says, while he was blessing them, he was taking them up into heaven. And I just like that thought, isn't it? That the last thing he was doing was blessing them. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, he says, after he said this, and we'll come back to what he said, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from his sight. Now I guess there's something about going up in the air and flying that makes you ready. You have to be ready. If you're going on an airplane, you have to be ready. You can't really forget your ticket, can you? You can't really forget your passport. I have family members who have forgotten passports. That's important times. But you have to be ready. Now, I don't know whether you're you quite calm and collected when you're packing and getting into the car. Your eyes, you don't do your packing. But you are calm and collected while Emmy's doing your packing. I don't know that Emily does her packing, but the response shows that she does. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. You kind of have to be ready. And I was thinking the other day that we, you know, so they saw Jesus go above the clouds. Now, many of us have kind of been above the clouds, haven't we? Thinking that, you know, they've not had that particular uh, experience that we've been above the clouds. Now, for Christians, even most Christians, some like flying, some don't like flying. And I can honestly say that when I've been on an airplane with Christians, I've, I've seen them more released into the gift of praying in tongues <laughs> than I hear them in church. Because there's something about the takeoff and the landing that brings out this gift. In some Christians, they just want to demonstrate that particular gift. And it says that they were taken up, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now, the ascension, you might not appreciate, is incredibly significant. Because just from one level, it, it, it confirms that Jesus fulfilled his redemptive work here on earth. He's saying, I've done what I came to do. And it's a huge celebration. It's a huge victory that is confirmed as Jesus is ascended into heaven. It's the coronation. It's the crowning of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It proves that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Now, a friend of mine, uh, Ken McGreevy, he's not with us now, he used to be a fantastic Bible teacher with a group of churches called Ichthus down near London. Great Bible teacher. And I loved kind of sitting under his ministry and hearing pray, because when he prayed, he would never simply use the name Jesus. He would always, always, always say the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd never use Jesus' name flippantly, and he, would, he, he always wants to kind of give this full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have ascending the risen, glorified King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And the wonderful thing is, is that we share 
in that redemptive victory that he has won on the cross and through being raised from the grave, in all that really matters, we are more than conquerors in him. And it says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because now we have access to the Father. Because of the ascension, we have access to the Father. Jesus said before he went, he says, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So before Easter, the emphasis was mainly on God being the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now Jesus is saying that he has become your Father and your God as well as mine. So we have access to the Father. We have a new identity in the Son, in the Lord Jesus himself. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 it says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now physically you're seated where you're seated on one of these green chairs. Spiritually we are seated in a different place. And we might be physically on earth here still, but spiritually we're seated in a very different place. And as somebody once said, it's not so much who we are, but whose we are that counts. We now also have intimacy, a new intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now one of the benefits of the ascension of Jesus ascending is it paved a way 10 days later for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And in John 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is good for you that I am going away. Otherwise, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, how on earth can it be possible, possibly good, for Jesus to go back into heaven. How can that be a good thing? But he's trying to explain it to them that this is, this is amazing. Now I'm sure we look back and think, oh, they were slow to get this. But actually, it was a good thing. Firstly, Jesus was limited in his presence here on earth. So even in Jesus' resurrected state, he could only be in one place at a time. And even on Easter Sunday, he, he fulfilled this itinerary, didn't he? He kind of was outside the, the grave with Mary Magdalene. And then in the afternoon, he was on the road to Emmaus, and a couple encountered him on that road. And then in the evening, he was at the evening service, wasn't he? The disciples in the house, locked away for fear of the Jews, fear of everybody, really. And Jesus meets with them. And on that day, he meets with people Three different groups. Now, I like the fact that because of the ascension, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that every time Christians meet on a Sunday or whenever, Jesus is now present with them. That is good news, isn't it? He can be anywhere at any time. And those of us who have been reading 40 Days with Jesus, even though sometimes we might have been reading it at the same time, Jesus is with us and present with us. So Jesus was limited with his presence, therefore it was good that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Secondly, Jesus was alone in his power and the knowledge to change 
lives. On a few occasions, he gave his disciples temporary power, authority, and understanding, but they, didn't, they weren't equipped to change the world. They weren't equipped to do this long term. And the ascension solves both problems because the Holy Spirit is released to all people in all places. Another occasion in Jesus' life that divides history. Now we're reminded through the Bible that the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father. He's the gift of the Father who only knows how to give good gifts to his children. He only knows how to give good gifts. He says, doesn't it, in Luke, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know there's a spiritual principle to ask? There's a spiritual principle to ask. Those who seek me, asking is very important. So Jesus fulfills his promise. Now, when my children were younger, on occasions, they would challenge me and say, but Dad, you promised. I don't know if you've ever had that. Because I kind of changed my mind or I couldn't be bothered. So I started to learn to say, we'll see. Because <laughs> I kind of let you off the hook a little bit. And it was better that way. But in Acts 1 verse 4, it says this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me talk about. And Jesus fulfills this promise. He is the gift of the Father. Secondly, he is the powerhouse of the Trinity. Making all that God has for us a reality comes through the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 where it says this, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, but God reveals it to us by his Spirit. What God has for us, you, you can't see it, you can't hear it, it's just beyond imagination, but God brings it to us by his work, the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And it's essential for us to be open to the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we, it's essential that we're open for the Holy Spirit to do new things within our lives. God has incredible purpose beyond what we can even imagine for ourselves. Now at our Alpha course, our Alpha morning last week, we had the kind of the Holy Spirit morning, two sessions on the Holy Spirit. And I remember saying that uh, uh, Wendy and I, we, uh, we're from the Midlands, but we spent 36 years in the Northeast. We've mentioned that a few times now. And we lived in a flat for two years, then moved to a house about 200 yards from the seafront. And Wendy found it, and I was really busy, and houses were moving very quickly and managed to get it. And we bought our house on the seafront, quite a big house, for £27,000. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? But when we bought it, it wasn't... It, on the outside, it looked quite fine, really, but on the inside, it didn't look so great. Uh, mainly because of the decor, because there had been smokers. I mean, I'm not going to go at smokers. My family were all smokers. And, but the, the, the colour of the walls were terrible. I mean, they really were an awful yellowy colour. And in the corners, there was so much nicotine, it looked as if it was going to drip down. There was so much 
nicotine on the walls. It didn't have central heatings. It wasn't very decorated. It just, yeah, it wasn't a nice place to go in. But bit by bit, it was changed. It was transformed. We cleaned the walls. Ah, Connect group came around and cleaned the walls. Really good of them. And um, I watched them. And uh, No, they were very good. They cleaned the walls for us. And um, Wendy suggested that we got the loft converted. So after a while, we got the loft converted. Um, then Wendy wanted a conservatory. So we got a conservatory. It took me a little while to get there on the conservatory, didn't it? It did take me a little while. Wendy wanted a new bathroom. No, we wanted a new bathroom. <laughs> we wanted a new bathroom. And, um, and the toilet downstairs. And then we moved. So there we go. Did all that move. Now, we, the point is, we did, you know, we kind of, we owned the house. We didn't just move into the porch. We, the whole house was full of potential. And God sees our lives and he sees things that we don't even see. The potential, the things that he can add to our lives. Anything he takes away is for our good. He knows what needs working in. Every room of our lives is full of potential. And he, he will even add to the rooms. Because our lives are full of potential. And he is the powerhouse of the Trinity. And, and it's wonderful, isn't it? That he sets his ownership. You know, we belong to him. And wants to fulfill that potential. So he's a great gift of the Father, the great powerhouse of the Spirit. And he's our great partner in mission. Our great partner in mission. So, Jesus brings these final preparations before he ascends into heaven. And then we come across Jesus' famous last words. I mean, it must be significant, Jesus' last words, surely. And I like, uh, you can see online different kind of last words of celebrities. I don't know why they always pick on celebrities, but I like the one from Spike Milligan, who was a comedian, he said this, I told you I wasn't feeding well. <laughs> so here are Jesus' final, final, final words in his final, final, final preparation of the disciples. In Acts 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. So it's not surprising that this is in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Okay, now you need to stick with me for a moment. Significant that this is in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Because right at the start of the book of Acts, verse 1 of chapter 1, Luke, who's writing this, and wrote Luke's Gospel, he says this, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken into heaven. So the Gospels, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about all the things that Jesus said and did until he ascends into heaven. Straight after, 
we get the Acts of the Apostles. Now, some people think it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm quite happy, not that it's down to me, that it's called Acts of the Apostles. Because in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, they are the ones that go out now. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I've done what I came to do. Now, I send you. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Luke always talks about, talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. He quotes Jesus when one day Jesus was in the synagogue. Now, stick with this. And Jesus stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus says that. Now Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Now is the time to the disciples for you to be anointed. You are the ones that are going to bring good news to the poor, if you know the verse. You're the ones that are going to see the eyes of the blind open. You are the ones that are going to see release for the captives. You are the ones that are going to proclaim the Lord's favour. Jesus says, this is what I came to do. Now this is what you need to go on and to do. And we see this amazing turnaround in the disciples for being fearful. Uh, on Easter Sunday, in the house, on their, you know, by themselves, out of fear. And this amazing turnaround. And over the next 20, 30 years, over, there's over half a million followers of Jesus. Over half a million of Disciples, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do through people. And it reminds me of a chorus that we used to sing. I used to hate it when preachers just quoted choruses that we used to sing. But a chorus that we used to sing. I like the chorus. Uh, it says, Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit until the work on earth is done. Tony Campolo, he says this, he says, trying to serve God and live for God without the Holy Spirit is like trying to put out a raging fire with a water pistol. Just a few squirts here and there. But God wants to equip us with far more than that and to baptize us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Now in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, we're still in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about the importance of two kind of baptisms. So it says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, Jesus is saying, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now baptism comes from the Greek word bapto, which means to be overwhelmed, to be drenched in, to be totally immersed, uh, covered in. And and it's interesting that Jesus, we know in Luke 4 again, was baptizing water. And we know that the Holy Spirit descended on him as well, like a dove. And in the early church, people were baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. But often it came close to conversion for many people, but for some people it, it doesn't. And I have to admit, for me, baptism didn't. I've been a Christian many years before I got 
baptized. I think it was about seven years before I got baptized. I went to a church who didn't talk about baptism. They were a great church, though. Wendy and I went to them. Little over Methodist Church, fantastic church. But didn't talk about baptism. It was only a little bit later that I started to read in the New Testament. Hey, up, people who became Christians got baptized. And uh, hearing other people's story of baptism, even though it's a few years later for me. And I have to say this... This illustration of water was just so helpful for me because even though I was a Christian, even though I knew I was forgiven, just didn't feel as clean as I wanted to, even though I knew that I was. And the symbolism of baptism is wonderful. It just reminds me that just like a flood, like a flood, the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus, I just know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm clean. I know that I'm washed. And I started to read that, because I started thinking about getting baptized, and I kept reading about it. And I remember being at a training event, and I remember praying that morning, I was reading about baptism again. This is my personal story. Um, Thinking, Lord, if you want me to baptize, you need to tell me to do it. A bit like that, I need to be told to get a conservatory, to convert the lot. No, no, I need to be told. And... That morning at this conference, the guy he was speaking, he just started up and he said something that stuck out for me. He says, don't keep asking God to tell you to do something that you've already read in the Bible to do. And for me, that kind of, that spoke to me. I mean, everybody's story is different. So I did get baptized. So in the early church, many got baptized um, Around conversion, some afterwards, in the early church, many got baptized in the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. However, there was a group of believers in Ephesus that didn't, because the Apostle Paul goes to visit them and teaches them. He finds that they become Christians. He's totally delighted with that. And he starts to talk to them about the Holy Spirit, and they said, we hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. We didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 19. So Paul says that there is a Holy Spirit, (laughs) and he will fill you and he will equip you. And so he prayed for them, and they were released in the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they were greatly blessed by it. Now, for me, I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit around the time of conversion. It didn't happen that way for me. I didn't know that the Holy Spirit worked in that way. I knew that there was a Holy Spirit, because I knew that Jesus was in me, no doubt about that. But I didn't know that you could be equipped, empowered, released, you know, all these other things that God had for us. And I became a Christian at 16. And I've been Christian about two or three years, and they grew reasonably well. I liked praying aloud, liked sharing my faith, liked serving in different ways. My problem was this. I grew content that other people thought that I was a good Christian, I was a strong Christian didn't admit to myself even that God needed to do some new things within my life. It's quite dangerous to think that you've arrived. (laughs) Quite dangerous. And I went off to Bible college for two years. And even there, I did, it was fine. I was there and then they invited me back to do a second year, not because I'd failed the first year. It was kind of a step up. And so I went, and and I can honestly say I became drier and drier and drier and drier as a Christian, even at Bible college, even though they're talking about the Bible every day, even though they're talking about God every day, even though he's doing mission stuff every day, 
eyes are becoming drier and drier and drier. Which was fine, other than a number of other students were starting to go to some events in Sheffield near where we were and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that a problem? It's because they were so happy about it. And I wasn't feeling very happy. So that was a problem. Not for them, but it certainly brought a life into them that I hadn't really seen. I remember one morning go down for a lecture quite early. And um, this guy comes up and sits next to me with this great grin on his face. Now, nobody smiles in the first lecture in the morning. Nobody. It's wrong. And he just looked at me and says, isn't God good? I wanted to lay hands on him straight away. I really did. Wanted to lay hands on him straight away and sort this out. But there's no doubt. Now, it wasn't happy clapping or anything like that, but it's clear that God had done something new in these individuals' lives. And to cut a long story short, at the, right at the end of the two years, on the last night, I knew that in a week's time I was going to lead a team of year-out people in Derby, and I was empty. I was empty. I was so dry. And I had to admit to myself, and my prayer was, God, I know that I can't do this without you. I know that I feel so dry. I need you to do something new within my life. And on that particular night, the last night, because it was a conference, a convention as well, a lot of people were being prayed for. I kind of, after everybody, it all finished, I creeped up to the speaker and said, will you pray for me? Because I was so dry, so empty. And he prayed that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, nothing particularly, I didn't feel anything particular. I, uh, nothing particular happened to me. But I have to say that over the next few weeks, the next few months, it was clear that new rooms had been opened up in my life. And God had done things, even kind of extensions, that I didn't know that he was going to do. He, had more, he has more for us than we can ask or imagine. We say, God, you know, you can do this. Well, be careful of just saying, God, you can do this, because he has more than we can ask or imagine. He has just incredible plans for us. No mind has imagined what God has stored for those who love him, but God reveals it to us by his Holy Spirit. It's not that everything happens at once, but we have to open the door. And he said, it is for those who ask. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow from your inner both being. Without me, you can do nothing. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I did not give you a spirit of timidity. We want a power and love and self-control. I will not leave you as orphans. Let me bring you times of refreshing for each of us. Now I'm going to invite uh, Isaac up uh, at this moment in time. Just Isaac, the band, come up in a little while. If that, that'll be fine. But if Isaac can just come and join me, because we are drawing towards the end of our... Um, series, 40 Days with Jesus, and, uh, and it's been a good time. I hope 
those of you engaged in it have been blessed by it. If you've not engaged in it, let me say we've still got the devotional book, 40 Days, that you can uh, buy at the back just for a fiver. And uh, I know that if you do those devotions, I'm just sure that God will bless you because you'll be getting into God's Word. I know that He'll bless you. And so I encourage you to do that. There might be some of you here that have never truly invited the Lord Jesus in. So baptism's not really an issue for you yet because you need to invite the Lord Jesus in. And, you know, I was around church for many, for many months before I kind of sensed this knock on the door of my heart and God saying, Phil, kind of stop messing around. What is real for these people can be real for you. Are you going to let me come in? And maybe that you've not got to the point where you become a Christian yet, but you just think, yeah, I just need to make, I just say, just, I do need to make that step. For some, as we've talked about baptism over the last few weeks, and we, do, we don't really don't want to force anything, this is between you and God, but this morning you might say, yes, Lord, you've said it often enough. I feel that you've spoken to me often enough. I'm going to take that step to get baptized. And for some of you this morning, your heart is, and your response say, God, I really want you to fill me uh, afresh. I do want to open these areas of my life that maybe aren't open to you, but I want you to open up areas of my life that I didn't even know that I had or the potential of having. And uh, this morning, we'll be delighted to pray for people. So I'm going to invite people to stand, uh, each of us stand, if um, you're able to. Lord, we do thank you that you're here with us and it's just so good to focus on these wonderful truths, amazing truths. But Lord, we thank you that you want to impact our lives. You want us to encounter you. You want to do new things within our lives. And Lord, for these next few moments, we pray that you would come amongst us by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for those who are thirsty for you, that you will touch them afresh. Thank you, Lord, that you have so much for us that's beyond imagination. And Lord, for those here that are just really tired or weighed down, thank you that as we trust you, your spirit can lift that off, put a new spirit within us, do something, do something really fresh. And Lord, for those who want to receive from you this morning, want to respond to you this morning, we pray that they would meet you in a tangible way. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us. Uh, You want to bless us. That's the last thing you did. You blessed them. And Lord, we pray that you pour out your spirit upon us this morning. Now, just as uh, we pray, we'd love to pray for you this morning if your heart is saying, Lord, fill me afresh. It doesn't have to be for a specific thing. You'd be ashamed to come to the end of this series and talk about these things and not respond if we're thirsty for more of God. So I'm going to invite the uh, Connect Group leaders and the uh, leads of the church to come to the front and uh, going to invite 
any of you who'd like to be prayed this morning, prayed for this morning, that's responding to the Lord for any of the things that we've said, why don't you come forward and we'd love to pray for you this morning. Just come stand at the front and somebody will come and pray for you. I'd love to do that.